Welcome to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast by mentalmastery.com.au, the show dedicated to fun mental performance strategies for your golf game. Join mental performance coach Jamie Glazier and co-host Ross Flanagan as they discuss how to manage your mind in one of the craziest sports there is. Welcome back to the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. Excited about this episode of the podcast. We have a special guest all the way from the US and uh, really excited to get her background, her history, her journey in the game, and obviously tap into a little bit around her mental game and uh, you know how she's going with that. So, so Maddie Fraking, welcome to the episode. Um, yeah, give us uh, a bit of background on yourself and, um, and your history with the game of golf. Awesome. Well, thank you very much for having me. So I actually super late to the game of golf, I feel like, because I didn't start till I was really in high school. Um, So I was very fortunate that I got scholarships to two different small D1 schools, one in Southern Illinois, Edwardsville, and then one at Incarnate Word in San Antonio, um, and then proceeded to continue my career after that. Um, But I always felt like I was playing catch up because you see all the like the really little kids out there, like eight years old, they're competing. And I was like, I wish I played at eight years old. Maybe I would have less bad habits. I don't know. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I didn't really start playing competitive golf, like in tournaments, AJGA, stuff like that till after I was a sophomore in high school. Yeah, right. So for everyone in Australia, what age is like a sophomore in high school? About what age group is that? Yeah, so like could be 14, 15, 16-ish, anywhere in that range, depending on, you know, what year you were born. Yeah, right. Okay. So yeah, definitely sort of late to the junior golf scene. Maybe sometimes with how we see juniors and parents interact at the junior golf scene, maybe it was a good thing you didn't pick up any bad habits. I know it's so crazy. So I played up, I played basketball growing up, like my whole life. And I always say that there's like crazy parents in every sport. Like that's just how it works. But in golf, you get such an eclectic group of people that I'm almost very glad I didn't grow up in that. But you know, (laughs) you never know. Maybe, maybe I would be farther along. You never know. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an interesting one, but um, I think, you know, one of the great well, the, the, the main reason I've reached out to you to, to get you, you know, as a guest on the podcast is we've had a lot of clients of mine join uh, the podcast who work with myself and have done for a number of years at, the, at a varying range of their professional careers. Um, a lot of guys in the US that are on the mini tours, but we haven't had a guest, a female guest uh, that plays mini tour golf and is going through that pro- progression early in their career and when I had a chat to you a couple of weeks ago about um, joining the podcast and you gave me a little bit of a background on a few things, it, it, for me, it was just mind-boggling um, with some of the things that um, that differs between the men's game of golf and the women's game of golf, especially at that foundational level as a professional golfer, your mini tours, your, your LPGA tour schools, your um, Symmetra tour schools, your Symmetra Monday pre-Qs, all those sort of things. One thing that jumped out at me was qualifying for the Symmetra Tour, which is the secondary tour in women's professional golf. There is no Monday qualifying. Is that correct? That is correct. Um, so basically, they, I, from what I understand, they used to do it. I have never been introduced to that. Um, I don't know if it's 
you know, how many years old that is, but the way they do it now is the women's all pro tour has two exemption spots that they offer. Um, and that's pretty much it. Like if you place one and two at the tournament, then, then you get to go into the next symmetry event, but that, that is as far as the Monday qualifying Right. goes with the Metro, which isn't, which is hard to believe because at some of the events earlier in the year, the WAPT, uh, the women's all pro tour fields were like very full, uh, with, I think one event had like 120, a couple had like a hundred and you're like, there's two spots for like a hundred people. And, you know, which is crazy, but, um, I don't remember if they extended it to like three or four, but I mean, that's, that's as far as qualifying goes is you have to play in the mini tour below that place in the top two to, to get yeah. anything else. So. Yeah. Right. So I suppose, you know, the whole, your whole journey through the year really relies on tour school, I would say, to give you an opportunity to play. Yeah. 100%. Like if you don't go to Q school, like there's just nothing for you, which is crazy. Like, you know, like we said, this metro, like there's no Monday queuing into that and then getting more status through that. And then, you know, kind of working your way. I know the guys have all sorts of different mini tours that they can play on and, you know, even smaller stage tours, you know, the McKenzie tour, the form tour, all the, all the other ones, the Latin American and, you know, the women, we have the women's all pro tour and we have the Symmetra tour. <laughs> that yeah, is right. the only two that are really at least interconnected. I know there's some smaller ones like the cactus tour, but like that doesn't really tie into like yeah. any Symmetra benefits or anything. So like, that's, that's it. Yeah. Yeah. So if you miss out on tour school, basically you're just grinding the mini tours and for want of a better term, probably spending money. A lot of money. Because <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's interesting because you, um, you were just chatting before about how, you know, you went and played a, a couple of events and how the pressure of having to finish so high up just to get your money back. Um, yeah, again, the opportunities for, for women at the mini tour level even is just so difficult compared to the men. I know some of the men's, the mini tours, you know, they have 10, 15, 20, $50,000 first prize checks, some of them even higher. Um, uh, so, you know, you, you've been pro how many years now? This was my second. So second year, obviously, you know, great timing to turn pro in the middle of a pandemic or at the start of a pandemic. <laughs> exactly so, yes I thought so too <laughs> so um so yeah just those opportunities become you know even even more challenging um so I know this is probably going to be a little bit of a painful one to discuss um but your tour school this year um you've just spoken about how important tour school is to you know playing privileges the following year and and and, and having a job talk to me about your experience this year in tour school so that, it stinks. Um, you know, I really went into it with one course in mind. And I was like, you know, if I can get off of this course that caused me problems last year, I was like, we're going to be fine and came off of it. I set a number. I was like, this is the number I want to hit. We're not going over this. That's why I told my caddy. I said, this is our number. We're not going over this number at this course. This is our goal. We did it, moved on past it, felt really good about it. And I was like, I don't think we could be in much better position because that was the course I played on my very first day. And I was like, all right, we need to set a good pace here. And so went into day two and I just, I, I took a quad on 18 and, uh, that, that stung a lot because I had been kind of grinding that entire round 
and I had had a couple doubles in there as well, but I also had like four or five birdies to at least even it out a little bit. Um, so I was, I was just really grinding it out that round and I got to 18 and took the quad and I believe I ended up missing it by four or five, something along those lines. So that quad pretty yeah. much did end for the event. Yeah, and yeah, I tried to much. battle back that third day. Um, I had the easiest course the third day, tried to battle back and it just, uh, it was like one under going into 18, made a bogey on 18 to shoot even. And yeah. you know, all, all you can do sometimes. Yeah, so just that one hole uh, really sort of stung and, and left a bad taste in your mouth. Yeah, it, it is, it's definitely, starts a little bit um everybody likes to give make jokes about it you know when i when i go to work they're like oh, i can't believe you you know joke with my caddy i can't believe you let her take a quad and i was like i can hear you <laughs> i can <laughs> i can hear you it still hurts and how many months ago was that august so several okay so still a few months and yeah look it's um you know we did chat a few weeks ago about that and um you know processing that situation, processing that experience, it's not an easy one, but uh, yeah, obviously, you know, going through that a little bit now and that sort of stuff. So plans moving forward, you know, obviously the mini tour stuff you've been playing in, plans for 2022, what does that look like for you? So I'll play some more of the Women's All Pro Tour. Hopefully I can play well enough to get myself some exemptions into some Symmetra events, which would be really nice. And hopefully see if we can't perform in those to kind of continue carrying on some status and maybe improving some status a little bit. That would be obviously ideal. Um, and then I'm going to try and play in more Monday queues, LPGA Monday queues, and mm -hmm. see obviously like one round, you know, can't get yourself into something bigger and better. So I'm going to see if I can't do more of that this year. I've Feel like i've neglected that in the past and i think they're really good opportunities so i'm going to try and take advantage of those a little bit more this year um and then the wapt also offers a exemption into stage two so that would also be my goal um right. so if you place in the top 10 on the money list you get an exemption into stage two of q school which obviously if i can miss stage one again that would be ideal nice nice okay that's great um and as far as the lpga mondays um I mean, looking at it from a logistical point of view, it's, it's sort of one day, possibly minimal expense, um, but also a greater opportunity for a return on investment um, if you can go out there and play well. So that, that sounds like a pretty good, uh, a pretty good strategy. Yeah, for sure. Those, those excite me a lot because I feel like they could open doors, obviously, if you play well. Um, so it, obviously the hardest part is just the travel. Like if there's, there's a few up in New Jersey, uh, there was at least at the end of this year, which is kind of a pain to, you know, fly in and out and then wait a week and either pay for your hotel that whole week you're there or go back home and then fly back in and back out. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, kind of picking your lesser of the evils there, but hopefully there's a few that are at least drivable for me because that would make super easy and much more worth my time. Yeah, great, great. And apparently uh, earlier in the year, you had uh, something happen that um, went viral on Twitter. Yes, I did. Give me a little bit of info and background on that. That was an interesting, uh, a very interesting story. Yeah, so I didn't think it was going to be that big of a deal. Um, apparently, people had very strong feelings about it. So I was at the Ryder Cup with my family the week before, and I was flying into Jersey for the LPGA Monday uh, queue, and then I was playing in the ShopRite Pro-Am later in the week. So I wanted to have my staff bag with me for the Pro-Am, as I do for any Pro-Ams or charity events that I play in. And I was like, I'll grab a local caddy while I'm there. Worst case scenario, I'll rent a push cart. 
And so I got there and I called ahead and said, do you guys have any push carts? And they said, no. And I asked if they would talk to their members and they said, sure, well, we sh shouldn't be a problem. I said, perfect. So I flew in, got there, had all my COVID testing done, like all the stuff that you're doing on the move. Cause you have to have that done within X amount of hours and such and such window. And so like last thing on my mind was carrying my golf bag and I get to the pro shop and they had no local caddies. They had no push carts. And they were like, we don't have any members that were willing to give you push carts either. And I was like, all right, whatever, pick it up. We're going to carry it. I've got a practice round to play. And it was probably two o'clock in the afternoon when I got in. So daylight was kind of burning and I was like, all right, I'm picking it up and I'm walking. And so that's what I did. And, you know, I'm sure I could have found somebody last minute on Sunday night to caddy for me in the Monday, but you had to have a COVID test and that had to be submitted the night before by eight o'clock and, you know, all yeah. those kind of regulations. And so I was like, forget it. I'll carry it. Not a big deal. It's one day. And to be honest, after being on the, the plane and being on the road for so long, I was like, you know what? Getting out and carrying my bag, there could be worse things. Like it's nice. And so after the practice round it was fine. And then obviously it was a little sore after doing it for two days with the 50 pound staff bag. Um, but like overall, like I wasn't that bothered by it. And somebody had taken a photo of me on what I believe was hole number nine and had scrolled in, like zoomed in on the super grainy iPhone and taken a picture from like a fairway over two fairways over of me carrying my bag. It was like, oh, this, you know, professional golfer is carrying her own staff bag wild at this like Monday queue. And people just lit me up on Twitter for it. They were like, oh, no caddy in a staff bag. You're clearly terrible. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, wow, like that escalated so fast. And yeah. I had no idea until somebody called me to tell me, they're like, is, is this you? And I was like, why? Well, I was like, oh, are you here? That's so why, why didn't you just come say hi instead of taking the super creepy picture? And they were like, oh, no, that, that wasn't me. And I was like, well, then where did you get the super creepy picture? You. <laughs> and uh, they're like, oh, haven't you opened your social media? And I was like, no. So that's when I opened it and I saw everything and people, like there were so many comments that, I mean, it was crazy. I think after the end of the week, I probably had a hundred and I think it was 127 messages in my Instagram, like on a completely different platform. Right. After I answered all of my primaries, all of my friends, my family, people I actually knew, I had yeah. another 127 sitting there. And I just was like, oh, <laughs> I don't know what to do with this. Wow. <laughs> yeah. And it with, was, the, with the nature of the messages or the nature of the comments, would you say they were um, positive or negative? Or what was the balance between the two? There were definitely both. So I had a lot of people in my um, DMs on Instagram that were super nice about it, that they were super friendly and they were like, hey, loved what you were doing. Glad that you were, you know, rolling with it. And, you know, we support that good for you. You've earned a fan here. And so like, it was kind of cool, which was super nice. Um, Twitter, completely different story. Yeah. Um, I felt like it was probably like 60, 40, where like 40% were pretty aggressive yeah. and like 60% were somewhat supportive or at least not, aggressively negative if that makes yeah. sense so like they were going I wonder what happened here my best guess was you know xyz like um there was an I think he's an Australian pro uh, James Nitties had like commented on it and was like um the only reason I can think that she did it was because she preferred it this way like there was no negative or positive it was just yeah. kind of like there yeah. um so you know and I would go back and reply to as many as I could hey this is the situation this is what happened um just kind of rolled with the punches yeah. and some people still took it farther and so like there's actually one thread of me and somebody going back and forth a little bit um but I mean it was nothing nasty on my end they were just you know kind of going well you shot you know plus 
four. And I think that's what it was. They're like, plus four with the staff bags, a bad look for you. And I was like, you know what? I was like, I bogeyed my last three coming in. I needed to shoot four under on my last three holes to yeah. even get close to the top two. I was like, like I, it was fine. You know, it was, it was yeah. kind of over at that point. And I was like, it's fine. You know, my concentration left and, you know, other things were on my mind. And I was like, I was just trying to get in and I was recovering from being ill. So I was like, I had a lot of other things that I was focused about than the Twitter yeah. warriors. Oh, I mean, it's, it's just amazing to think that, um, anyone that would know the story of, okay, there's no local caddies, there's no push carts. You, you just, you know, made the choice that I'm going to carry my, my, my staff bag for a practice round and for the Monday queue and to get any type of hate at any level or any negativity around that decision is for me, it's just mind boggling, but at the same time uh, probably solidifies the fact that I got off Twitter uh, over a year ago because that's just all the platform is is just negativity central and uh but i think again this is you know little things that you know i try and put myself in that position at, at a men's event where that might have happened and with a lot of the clients that maybe i have uh either either sort of worked with in the past or or i know what the guys are like they would probably kick up a stink they would probably demand a push cart before they even go out. Like that's just, it's unacceptable. Um, and you just go, Hey, look, I'll just carry. It. Yeah. You know, I mean, obviously a push cart would have been beautiful. Like that would have been perfect. Um, yeah. I would never have turned that down, but under the circumstances, yes. I mean, some of the people in on the comment section were like, well, why don't you just admit that it was bad planning? And I was like, you're right. I, you know, could have planned that out a little bit better. But again, I was on the road. I called ahead. Um, I thought I planned it out okay. But, you know, things happen. I mean, how many times do you go to an event and there's just absolutely nothing? Like, an, yeah. you know, whether like a big sanctioned event and there's just like nothing there for you, no resources. Yeah. And I'm like, that just doesn't happen. And so I was like, you know what? I got unlucky this time. Give it, you know, whether it be bad planning or just bad luck, I was like, you know, maybe combination of the both, but you know, I was like face of adversity. I was like pretty proud of myself. I was like, we rose to the, you know, the challenge. And then I was like humbled back down. I was like, all right, never mind. <laughs> love it. I love it. I suppose that also gives us a bit of an insight into, you know, your, your own mindset and the way that you live life. Um, talk to me about, um, being a professional golfer and not having a tour to, to sort of play on, still trying to find as many opportunities to play as you can and the expenses, what does your life look like chasing your dream of being an LPGA tour player? Like what, what does your, your life look like? If we followed you around for a couple of months, what does that look like? You know, it's not the the look that I thought it was going to be to be completely honest with you when I graduated from college like I had these grand pictures of like how I thought being a professional was going to be and that was just not it but I mean then again in life like how often do you go yeah this is exactly how I saw this going um so you know you win some you lose some there mm -hmm. but you know if you were to follow me around for a couple months you would just see somebody that grinds and that's pretty much what I do you know I work four jobs and I go to the golf course I come home I go to work I come home if I'm working I'm trying to get in some practice before it gets dark if I can like I had a member guest I got home at you know 6 30 it gets dark at 7 I was like maybe I can go chip for 30 minutes you know and trying to just 
scramble and get stuff in so I can work and pay for the golf, but then I sacrifice practicing. So I'm currently trying to find balance in doing that um, somewhat successfully and unsuccessfully, depending on the week. Um, but pretty much my life revolves around golf and doing what I can to either pay for it or play in it. And so it's, it's not an exciting life and it definitely hurts because you see all the money go out and you don't always see it come back. So yeah. it's really hard to watch, but like this last event was probably not the hardest one to watch, but definitely because it was a two week long event, it took obviously a lot more expenses to be there. So I spent probably $2,500. And as I mentioned to you before, I needed at least two top tens to get within, I think it was 2300 so within a couple hundred dollars and that's not even breaking even yeah. and it's it's kind of demoralizing because you're like I worked you know 11 of the last 14 days to be here so I could pay to be here knowing that I wasn't setting myself up for success but going anyway because I felt obligated to for a variety of reasons and I wanted to play this was kind of the season ender for me and so I went and played but then while you're there knowing that you needed to perform so well to even make back your money is like demoralizing and it kind of takes the fun out of it. And you're like, this is, and to their credit, they did a great job with the event. Like, don't get me wrong. They, you know, they tried to put together all these different activities for us and, you know, make it interactive and do what they could. And, you know, they had, um, they wanted to give you a taste of like what it would be like on a bigger tour. So they had like Bentleys out there and Maseratis. You're like, oh, this is so cool. But you're like, great. Um, the purse for two events is $50,000. So 25 a piece essentially, or break it down however you would like. Um, and you're like, well, you know, first place is making maybe five grand, you know, like this, this is not like that big of an event. And you're going, well, this kind of sucks. <laughs> like yeah. I have to do so well to be here. And you're like, well, this isn't fun. And yeah. so like, you it's like such a hard life to find balance in. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, I just wrote down five words. The first one was balance. Um, and I suppose how much so I've, I've got a client um austin psych um he came on the podcast in an earlier episode a young pro um, from the us and about three months ago gave me a call and he said he's going to go back and get his amateur status back he'd been a pro for two years um going to get his amateur status back he felt like being a pro he started to lose the love for the game. For sure. So talk to me about how being a pro and, and, and the balance that you talk about, um, the impact on, on your mental health, um, the impact on your love for the game. How are you juggling and balancing all of that um, being, a, being a pro? You know, I would tell you, I'm not juggling it very successfully because it's all so new. And like I said, this is not the way I thought that it was going to be. So like these grand, you know, expectations that I had, I was like, wow, this is not it. And so yeah. like trying to find that balance still even now, because it's really hard, like the grind, like that's what everybody talks about is the grind and you don't understand it until you live it which is so hard to explain to other people because I can talk to people who um, have put themselves in my shoes and they're like, well, I've always thought about doing this. And I played in college and like, until you get to the professional world and you see how it is and you're driving, you know, the 14 hours and then, you know, sometimes sleeping in your car and sometimes, you know, trying to figure out like, well, what can I afford to eat this week? And, you know, doing all of these things, you're like, this is kind of not fun. 
And you're like, how, how high up do I have to place on this money list to even make my money back? Oh, I have to place, you know, 12th in this field of 120. You're like, awesome. Like, yes, I would love to place 12th every week. Realistically speaking, that doesn't always happen. Right. So that, and that's golf. Um, and you're like, okay, well, how often can I do? And so you're just like sitting there in your head, trying to crunch numbers and you're like, realistically speaking, logistically speaking, you're like, this is a terrible investment. Like, right. You're like, I just see money go out the door. Like, this is not fun. Um, but you do it because you love it. But then when you're grinding so much, there's like, I got back from my last event and I haven't touched my club in like five days until today I decided to go out. And one of my friends was like, Hey, I've got this really funny idea. You should try and give it a shot with this fun new trick. And I was like, okay, I'll give it a try and try and make it fun for me again. Um, and that's kind of what, I've started doing with my social media is like fun stuff, like try and making it fun for me to do different things because when you're just practicing and grinding and working and you're living to work and working to live. Yeah. It's not fun. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, we talk a lot um, and a lot of the listeners will know, we talk a lot about expectation management and, and how I, I perceive expectation management is one of the biggest elements that has a negative impact on not only performance but but overall enjoyment um, of the journey uh, whether that's a club level golfer who they expect to play you know their top five percent of golf 80 percent of the time or whether it is a young pro that that comes into the game and they expect you know they expect to get their tour card on the LPGA or the PGA Tour in the first two to three years um, They expect that journey to go really smoothly and and it to be, I won't use the term glamorous, but uh, exciting. Um, And then reality hits and you're like, hang on, like this is not what I thought was going to happen. And it's about trying to tweak uh, that expectation to be more based around what reality really looks like. Um, Because that way then it diffuses any of the, the stress or anxiety associated to what you will experience then those, you know, the, the, the positive 10 or 20% of performance or the positive 10 or 20% of being a professional golfer actually feels a whole lot better than what it might've done. If that's what you expected, you know, the whole journey to be. So. Right. And, and speaking of expectations, it's so hard to not only manage like your own expectations because like everybody else is projecting their expectations onto you. So like the amount of times I get, the messages on social media they're like oh it must be so nice to be like flying private but I was like buddy I play mini tour golf like I ate last week at Bucky's which is a gas station like yeah. five times which yeah. mind you it's a great gas station it's like a, it's Texas based you know like it's yeah. bigger than life <laughs> you yeah. know kind of a deal but like it's still like I ate you know barbecue at this gas station four times like I'm not flying private what kind of world are you living in that you think professional golf looks like this at all levels yeah Yeah. and then my expectations you know managing between like okay well I don't expect to miss the green from 100 yards out ever does it happen yes um but it's it's you know I should be able to recover from that you know kind of an expectation and you know especially when I'm out playing with other people who want to go play with a pro and they're like oh my gosh like I, I beat you on XYZ hole and blah, blah. I thought you'd be better. And, you know, I'm like, I'm allowed to hit one errant shot. Like it's like, yeah. let's be realistic. Like that happens. Yeah. Like not all pros hit perfect shots all, all the time, but it's like yeah. social media and TV. All you see is the highlight reel. Like that's yeah. all they want to show you. Unless it's, you know, Ricky Fowler duffing his chip shot. Like yeah. that's, that's not what they show you. And so it's so hard to manage your expectations because they don't show you the guys that went home Friday night. 
like that's and that happens and you're like well I don't see any of it so I just that was something that Hal Sutton had actually told me when we were chatting because I told him I was like it's just so hard like I don't feel like I'm a ball striker I don't hit the ball well enough blah 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 and he goes Maddie you don't have to hit the ball perfect all the time he's like you don't see that like people hit errant shots like that that's golf and he's like but you just don't see the guys that go home on Friday but make the cut the next week like they just don't show you that and then you see on social media I like that happened at the last event a girl that I know and she was like oh I've shot you know three under two under six under whatever it was and I was like we played nine whole matches and she just kind of gave her give herself putters on the other nine holes but she's putting it out to her following that she shot a com combined 11 under for two days and I'm like but you didn't but people don't know that because it's a highlight reel right like that's not the whole picture so it's so hard to manage all of those different expectations with your own for sure and it's it's interesting I had a a client of mine back here in Australia share an a, a post on Instagram with me yesterday and the post was Tiger Woods missed the green from 100 yards to 110 yards 20% of the time throughout his career. Wow. Now, he's the greatest player that's ever played the game. For sure. Uh, arguably, but I'll, I'll just put that out there, you know. Um, but he still, for between 100 and 110, 20% of the time missed the green. Now, when players like yourself and, and, and the, the client that I um, that shared it with me is a, a pro here in Australia, um, won multiple times on the tour here, he's like, my God, his expectation of himself is so much higher than the reality of Tiger Woods. And he said that sure. just made him realise, my God, I'm being an idiot to myself. Absolutely. So, yeah, I think that expectation management is a really good uh, you know, conversation starting point to start to navigate those expectations, you know, in an area that helps to support reality, but also helps to support your own um, you know, health and well-being. Because I know when those expectations are really high, um, the separator between your expectations and reality, the greater that is, then the greater the fall um, or the greater the, the sort of impact on your overall health and well-being. So. Um, I suppose here's a, a conversation around your mental game, so golf-specific mental game, where you perceive that is, some of the areas that you would like to develop moving forward, but then also your overall mental health and well-being and where that is and what do you do to help um, keep that at a healthy level? Yeah, actually. So it's funny we mentioned that. Um, I actually messaged my parents last week and I, while I was on the road. And I just pretty much told them, like, I need you to be my support right now because I am struggling. And I said, it is very hard to admit, like, when you need help. And I was like, and I just like, I need the support right now Um, because, you know, like you're on the road and you're by yourself all the time. And I was like, and you can look at it two different ways. Like, yeah, it's great to be alone. And I'm a very independent person love it. I'm great with it. And you have friends that you travel with and you can go practice together and work out together and play practice rounds and do all of those things. But at the end of the day, it is you on the golf course by yourself. And it is you that you have to go to bed with by yourself. And I go, and then you can make the argument. Some girls, you know, are in relationships and bring their boyfriends. And, you know, that's also not very realistic. And, you know, having a significant other when you're on the road, I was like, 
can be great because I was like, you have that support, but I go, you're always wishing that you were with them or that they were with you and you're wishing you're somewhere else. I go, or vice versa, you don't have a significant other. I go, and then you're again, back to the, you're completely by yourself. Like again, you have friends, but like, it's not a team sport. Um, So you try and involve people to the extent that you can, but you can only do it so far. And I go, and I kind of reached to that point where I was like, I feel very alone. And I was like, and I need some support. So it's very, very hard to kind of navigate those waters. Um, But again, like, that's why you have sports psychs and psychologists and counselors and all those kind of things that people rely on is because golf is one of the few sports that is completely by yourself. There's no team element. There's no, like anybody else that you can rely on. It is me, myself and I. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's where, you know, the last, uh, however many years there is, players are really trying to actively create that team environment around them because it is an individual sport. It's, it's a, it can be very much a lonely sport. Uh, but if within their circle, if they can create that team environment that when they get off the course, they can call their coach or their sports cycle or, or mental performance coach to be able to um, be there and, and help assist throughout um, that journey, then that, team environment really does have a positive impact so you know for you who no doubt is a strong independent woman shown by the fact that you're willing to carry a staff bag around for a couple of days it can be difficult to ask for help and also difficult to I suppose admit that you're struggling very and it's hard because like people joke about it they're like oh you know feeling kind of lonely today kind of like haha passive aggressive and you're like no but actually like that 14 hour drive was really hard <laughs> like yeah. you know yeah. kind of joking about it. I'm very lucky that I have people that like called and you know got me through the last couple hours and whatnot and so obviously very fortunate that there are people that I can lean on but at the same time like again um I did have some people while I was there they were like hey like a couple Swedish guys that were professionals that were playing at the golf course and they're like hey you want to join in our game of Swedish 21 I was like absolutely like I would love to so I joined it and you know you try to create the team element where you can but you know it's it's hard because it's not always there it's not you know college where you're surrounded by a whole team and you know you're playing both team and yourself so like there's there's a little bit of both this one this one's just you yeah and it makes it hard but you know you do what you can where you can yeah, yeah. No, that's great. And look, I think it's, you know, uh, it's a sh- uh, reaching out to your parents and asking for help. That um, I know it sounds like a simple thing, but I know sometimes that can take a lot of courage to just make that phone call and admit to them, especially parents, because you don't want them to worry about you. And but sure. um, you know, it takes a, a level of courage to be able to step into that, um, and then ultimately, yeah, seek seek help and advice. Uh, from the right people, um, uh, which is, uh, which again is always hard, especially when you're doing what you do and and you're working so hard just to pay the bills to be able to give yourself an opportunity. Let alone any type of help over and above, you know, having a having a swing lesson here or there when you when you can afford it and when you can uh, can fit it in. Um, right, and part of that is I feel like somebody once told me that you have to be able to live outside of golf. Um, and I feel like that's something that I've been working really hard on where, you know, I've started trying to set goals outside of golf and, you know, doing things that like, you know, I made the joke with somebody the other day about like Christmas presents. And my dad was like, Hey, for Christmas, like, do you want a new set of driver woods or whatever it is? And I was like, no, like I want something 
that is completely unrelated to golf. Like it's not my, my whole life doesn't have to revolve around this one thing. Like, yes, it is my job, but you know, like when, you know, you don't go home and ask for like a new computer, a new planner, you know, like for Christmas, like that's not fun, (laughs) you know, maybe a computer, but you know, so I'm, you know, I'm just trying to create a life for myself that doesn't exist outside of golf, which is hard when all I do is work in golf. (laughs) You know, the lesser of the evils, but yeah, for sure. And I mean, that's, I think that's one of the most important parts of my work with professionals, especially is trying to create more pieces to the puzzle in their life and, and, and who they are as a person other than just golf and golf only. And um, because being a professional athlete, is, it's, a, it's a full-time business in itself, training, preparing, developing your game. It can be diff, you know, difficult to add those other pieces of the puzzle um, into the mix, but it is just so important and so relevant to continue that journey of of adding more interest outside of uh, outside of golf as you can and um so yeah i completely understand that so what about your mental game specific to your golf game and your golf performance um give uh, give myself and the listeners a bit of an insight into how that's going and what you feel the priorities are moving forward from your from your mental game point of view so it's actually funny because I feel like where I started with my mental um, game has actually kind of like reversed. So I always used to have a really hard time getting off the first tee for whatever reason it was getting off that first tee without making a big number was always really hard for me because then obviously the rest of the 17 holes, you're just playing catch up yeah. and I'm talking big number. Like I'm taking a triple, like yeah. it's not, you know, bogey it's, it's triple. Yeah. And, you know, I played with a couple other professional golfers, um, Jade and then Greg Chalmers. And they were like, what are you eating before you go play? I'm like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, what do you mean? What am I eating? Like, yeah. I'm a very healthy eater. I'm very health conscious. Like I count my macros. I do all these things. And they're like, no, no. Like, what are you eating? And when? And so like, we had this conversation and it was just so funny because like the way Greg like turned around and looked at me was he was like, your body is your job. You need to figure that out. And I was like, okay. Um, And he was absolutely right. Cause like, while we were talking about it, it like dawned on me. He goes, do you understand that by the time you get up and you eat and then you drive to the golf course and you stretch and you warm up and you do all of these things, it could be two hours since yeah. last time you ate before you teed off. And I told him, I was like, I always have a nervous stomach before I go. And he's like, so you have a nervous stomach. He goes, and now your nervous stomach is all jittery because you haven't fed it in two hours. Yeah. He goes, oh, and you drink coffee. And I was like, yeah, I, I love coffee. And he goes, do you drink it before you play? And he said, yeah. And he goes, you're adding fuel on the fire. Like, what are you doing? And I was yeah. like, oh yeah. my gosh, like, I never even thought yeah. about that. And yeah. so like, that was a direction that I went was actually changing my eating. And I made a huge difference. Like getting myself off the first hole is so much better, but now I have such a hard time finishing my round and I've done a lot of things in between there to like sustain myself. So I know that when I go out and play, like I used to get really bad, bad headache crashes in the middle of the afternoon. And so I played around with my food eating and I know that like, when I go play, I want my proteins, my fats, and then my carbs. And that pretty much sustains me in that specific order. Um, and that pushes off the headache. Yeah, But like, I always have a hard time finishing my round with anything better than a bogey. And that was present in my Q school. That was present in my last event. I think I ended all three of my, or we we got rained out one day. So both of my stroke play events with a bogey on the last, um, and then my match play events, I, we had one, two, three, we had six. And I think I maybe parred the last hole to win twice. 
Yeah. And like, I don't know what it is about yeah. coming in that last home finishing stretch. Yeah. Usually it's like my strong suit. When I, when I start out rough, I usually do really well coming down the home stretch. Yeah. But now it's like reversed where I can start off really well and I can get myself through the round and then coming down that home stretch really hard for me. I don't know why. Like, yeah. I don't know if it's the foot coming off the gas pedal and you're kind of trying to conserve and you're like, don't mess this up now. Like this is 18, right? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. you know, that's, that's where I really struggle. Yeah. So you would say that's the, 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 the really focus point, the target for you, you know, moving forward um, from a mental game perspective, just to help to sharpen those last sort of three or four holes um, to be able to take advantage of, you know, what a, a good score that you've uh, not only got going, but maybe even better that score finishing out around. Yeah, absolutely. That finishing, that finishing stretch, it, it just does it for me. I don't, I don't know yeah. why. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's cool. I mean, I think, you know, most golfers uh, do battle with that little bit of a uh, little bit of tension, anxiety, um, you know, closing out around because that's the end point. That's when things are completed. So um, I know we've discussed uh, in part doing a little bit of work together moving forward, which, um, you know, if we, uh, if we do get to that point, um, it would be great to uh, get some work in and then maybe get you back on the podcast, you know, in three or four months and uh, give the listeners a bit of an insight into what we've done and, and, and the impacts that it's had and, um, and, you know, what you've learned from, you know, digging a bit deeper into, into some of these aspects of your mental game. So um, that would, uh, that'd be fun. Yeah, that would be exciting. I would love to come back in three or four months and be like, I don't have this problem anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's great. But uh, Maddie, thank you so much for, for joining us today. Um, uh, just as I said, I was so excited to, to get this episode out because life uh, as a professional golfer um, on the women's tour is uh, um, very challenging. And I know that uh, you know, some of the experiences you've had over the past three to six months is um, really an enlightening for a lot, of, um, you know, a lot of the listeners out there that don't really, again, we as amateur golfers or club level golfers, we look at pro golf and we just see that top tier. You know, we see the leaders um, on the TV every week. We don't see the people that are struggling. And, um, you know, Herbie is a great example. You know, one uh, PJ Tour event uh, uh, last week and that came from missing the cut to his first two events of the season. So miss cut, miss cut and then wins. I mean, that's just the, the nature of golf, it's up and down. And so, yeah, really, uh, really great to unpack that with you and for you to share a lot of your uh, experiences. And we look forward to getting you back on the podcast sometime in the near future. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you for having me. Thanks for reaching out. This was super fun. I'm glad we got to connect. Yeah, that's awesome. Thanks again. And uh, we look forward to uh, sharing the next episode of the Mental Mastery podcast with you all soon. Thanks for joining us on the Mental Mastery Golf Podcast. It's been a pleasure to have you. If you want to bridge the gap between potential and performance and start to build your own unbreakable mental game today, join us over at mentalmastery.com.au at the Mental Mastery Clubhouse where we would love to connect with you and see you on the inside of the clubhouse where we can continue the mental performance journey. It's been a pleasure having you. See you next time.